Well, if you would, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you're a guest with us tonight, we have been in the study of this letter to the Ephesians since the 1st of September. And so you join us as we're in the middle of this study, in the middle of chapter 4, actually. Um, And uh, we're, we're glad that you're here with us this evening. Uh, According to the State of Theology website, uh, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research recently partnered together and they wanted to find out uh, what Americans believe about God, salvation, um, ethics, and the Bible. Um, And here here are a few examples of what they found. Okay. 52% of evangelicals agree that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. 51% of evangelicals agree that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And that's up from 49% back in 2016. 78% of evangelicals agree that Jesus... 78% agree, evangelicals, that Jesus is the first and greatest created being by God. And that's up from 71% back in 2016. Fortunately, only 32% of evangelicals agree that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion, not objective truth, and 91% of evangelicals still believe that God counts a person righteous, not because of our works, but only because of our faith in Christ. Um, Though I believe probably our actions or actions betray us in many cases, and I think how people believe might reveal something a little different. And, And this gets even worse when we talk about Americans as a whole, Uh, U.S. adults, only 23% agree that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. 52% agree that abortion uh, is a sin. Only 52% believe abortion is a sin. Only 54% agree that homosexuality is a sin. 58% agree that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regular attending a worship service in a church. And I I could go on. Uh, But you can go to that website. And you can read, there there are many more questions than the ones that I looked at. And and the bottom line is, this this reveals a confusion, a mass confusion uh, within our country, within evangelical circles, in in regards to what the Bible teaches. And and I would go so far as to say that the results really show, uh, in fact, that professing Christians... Professing Christians are either stagnant and or, or not maturing in their faith at best, or at worst, at worst, those professing believers remain actually could remain dead in their trespasses and sins. And what I'm about to say is very strong. And I I want you, please, to hear it from the heart from which it comes. But I think the problem, I believe both of these result from an abysmal and vacuous teaching and preaching ministry within local churches. And again, I, I don't 
I don't say that pridefully as if we, we've arrived in any way. I, I say that brokenheartedly because this has eternal consequences for many, including many people that we know and love. And, and I don't say that, I, I don't want to say that as if, uh, as if I'm being judgmental and I'm, I'm holding others to some unrealistic standard that I'm not willing to, to hold us to or, or me to. I'm, I'm, simply, I'm simply saying what I believe Paul says here in the middle of chapter 4. I, I believe I'm saying in, in different words what, what he is in fact saying because I think in the verses that we're going to look at tonight in verses 14 to 16, there are three distinguishing marks of a church that is growing up into Christ. I think it's unmistakable. And so, uh, and, and those three marks are this, a, a growing stability in the truth, uh, a growing speaking of the truth, and a growing serving out of the truth. And that will be our outline this evening. Let's stand together and, and hear again from God's Word. Uh, Wes read verses 1 to 16. I'm going to go back, instead of just 14 to 16, I'm going to go back to 11 uh, because I will refer back to those verses that we covered last week as we wrap up a little later. So hear now the Word of the Lord in Ephesians chapter 4. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be, tossed, uh, be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. God's holy and inerrant word. Let's pray together. Father, as I've already prayed, I'd ask again that you would bless us. Bless the reading, the hearing, the preaching of your word. Father, speak to us through what you have already spoken. Bend our wills to yours. And through, through this, through the preaching, again, would you bless us and equip us, edify us, build us up into him who is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our head. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, just for all of us, but for those of you who haven't been here, last week we looked at the fact that the, from verses uh, 7 to 13... Uh, we learn that Christ has given gifts uh, to us. They are extended to us. Uh, we are to exercise those gifts, and those, are, those gifts are explicitly for us. And we said that God desires that we, as the body of Christ, grow spiritually, that we grow up into Him, that we, that we together have uh, a one, uh, that we're one in our trust and in our confidence of Christ, uh, that we're one uh, in our true and accurate knowledge of Christ. And He desires us for us to grow and to reach maturity. And basically we said, and we understand that to mean that He wants us to be conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus. 
That is the ultimate goal for us. And that goes for us individually, but that goes for us corporately as his body. And so Paul is clear, and we said that we are to exercise our gifts so that that might happen. And we're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. The question, though, is how do we know if we're in fact reaching that goal? How do we know if we're growing up into him who is Christ? How do we know if we're growing and maturing in our faith? How do we know if we're growing spiritually? And as I said, Paul concludes this section by giving us what I think are three marks that help us in identifying whether we're reaching that goal or not. But before I get there, I want to lay out four things that I think are very, very important. Things that I want to stress from the text that we need to have a hold of before we move on to those three marks. And the first is this. We need to remember, remember, remember that everything that he says here builds upon who we are and what is ours in Christ. Okay, we've said this over and over at the last couple of weeks. Everything that happened the first three chapters uh, is, is vitally important and foundational for what he says in, in chapters 4 to 6. 4 to 6, we, we, can't, we can't do those things if 1 to 3 are not true. Everything to 4 to 6, all that he commands, all that he asks for us, asks for us and expects of us is is fruit of what who we are and what is ours in Christ. So we have to remember that as we move forward that everything everything that he is saying and everything that we'll look at tonight is predicated upon who we are and what is ours in Christ. Secondly, notice in verse 15 he says we are to grow. Right? He's, remember, he's begging us to walk the talk. And so he is, expecting, he is expecting us to grow in our faith. It is an expectation. Uh, really, it's a command, and it's something that we are to do, again, because of who we are in Christ. Thirdly, remember that we're striving toward a goal. We're growing into Christ. We're maturing in our faith. We are uh, we are growing and maturing spiritually. It's something that is taking place. So it's an ongoing process. It's a progression. Uh, and, and these uh, marks are not, that we'll look at are not exhibited perfectly. And we understand that there are going to be days that we take three steps forward and feel like we take two steps back. But we are moving ahead. There, there's not a stagnation or a regression. We are moving forward. And a little spoiler alert, uh, Charles Hodge says, our growing and maturing, this is a paraphrase by the way, but our growing and maturing is ultimately due to the spirit who is at work within us, not to how efficient we are in our striving and working. Now flesh that out a little bit when we get there, but just I, I, I felt like I needed to give that little spoiler alert. And lastly, there, there is an end, there is a goal. We are going to arrive. It will be attained. Notice the language. Until we all attain so that we may no longer. We will not fully realize it here, but we will one day when, when Christ calls us home or when He returns, but it will be fully realized. And then when we saw this last week, kind of looking ahead in chapter 5, there will be a day when Christ will present His church holy and blameless without spot or wrinkle, having been washed by the water of the Word. And we can be confident that it's going to take place. So we're striving to become who we've been declared to be. Striving to become who we will be one day. 
We've got, we, we need to have a firm grasp on that as, as we move ahead. So, so what are, um, with those four things in mind, what are the three things? What are those three marks of a church who is growing up in the Christ? The first is found in verse 14. There's a growing stability in the truth. Let's read verse 14 again. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. What Paul is doing is he's, he's comparing those who are immature in their faith with those who are mature in their faith. He's contrasting those who are growing in their trust and confidence in Christ uh, and growing in their faith and knowledge of Christ and those who aren't. And he's saying that there is an identifiable difference between the two. And he uses three very clear illustrations of this. And and again, the the first first two actually I I shared with the children. They're very clear. And anyone that's been to the beach understands that. There is, and you yourselves know, it's not just though he says the children tossed about. You yourselves know that there are some waves big enough that no matter how firm your feet are, no matter if the sand is up over your ankles, a wave hits you. If you're not ready, you're going over. And just as that mother found, she and her son on that, um, I think it was an inflatable swan, before they knew where they were, they were, they were a mile or two off the coast and in need of help because they weren't paying attention. But the third is a little more subtle because it's found in the language he uses. He's describing someone who's falling prey to someone who's deceitful and cunning, and basically very seductive. Um, people who purposefully lure you away, uh, per- people who are, are, are enticing and misleading, and, and, and based on the language, um, a common illustration for us that we would understand is, is that they're like those folks that run the booths at the county and state fairs and the carnivals, Right? They're they're smooth in their speech and they're drawing you in because they make the game that they're that they're running look really good and they're making the prizes seem much better than they really are and and they lure us in and what happens and it's just dollar after dollar on that uh, you know in their hands because what they don't tell you is that one out of the ten guns actually shoots straight. And they give it out every once in a while so that they actually give a prize away. Or that the basketballs barely fit through the rim. Or that the milk bottles are so heavy that there's no way that light bean bag is ever going to knock them down. And they bilk us for everything in our wallet. But they make it sound so good. And they do it on purpose. So Paul says, if, if we're not growing in our stability in the truth, if we're not growing in our faith and not growing in our knowledge of Christ, if we're going to fall prey to false doctrine and those who teach it in the very same way. And sometimes that's, that's very uh, subtle and at other times it's blatant. There's blatant deception, blatant manipulation. And if we don't have a firm grip or if our feet aren't firmly grounded in the truth of God's word and the gospel, if we're not deepening in our knowledge and comprehension of Christ, we're going to be tossed about back and forth. 
Wind blows, undercurrent takes us under. We're down, we're down the shoreline before we even know what, what's happened. And I want us to think about this seriously because we've had examples of this over the last 25 years. Think about it. How, how many were drawn into the emergent church movement? Chasing after Rob Bell. You know, how, many, how many are dismissive and even defensive of calls to discern the theology of some of today's most popular worship music? They don't even, wanna, they don't even want to, to talk about it. Why do so many people give money to Creflo Dollar and Paula White? Why do so many people quote uh, people like Joel Olstein and Joyce Meyer on Facebook? Why, why are books like The Shack and Your Best Life Now and Heaven is for Real and 90 Minutes in Heaven and Jesus Calling and Girl Wash Your Face all Christian bestsellers? Why? The, the bottom line is in, in all these cases there is a a lack of belief in the sufficiency of Christ and His Word. And that lack of sufficiency is, is pushed, again, through that, through that vacuous, abysmal teaching. And that teaching is coming from those who have a lack of belief in the sufficiency of Christ and His Word. And it's, it's a vicious, vicious cycle. But he says, those who are growing in their faith and knowledge of Christ, those who are maturing in their faith, they don't follow the fads because they're able to identify and realize the error that's, that's present before them. Uh, they're growing in their knowledge of the Word of God and Gospel in particular, and so they're able to identify false doctrine and counterfeit Christianity. They're able to discern sermons that confuse law and gospel and they understand that, that those sermons are more, more moralistic than they are salvific. They're, they're able to identify when they're being coerced into obedience through guilt and reward or fear and punishment rather than grace and gratitude. They understand and are able to they are able to identify mistakes and emphasis. And what I mean by that is they're able to see and to hear when they hear messages and, and, and Christ is built up and, and we are brought low. Or when, when those who, who make Christ, make much of Christ and more of Christ and less of us, then that, that is something to listen to and to grab hold of. But if, if they make more of, us, more of us or much of us and less of Christ, it ought, we ought to turn and run. And we're able to do that because they're a part of churches. We talked about this last week. Because through the gift that Christ has given the church, through the teaching ministry, the preaching, the, the word, and sacra- word and sacrament ministry of the church equips the body. That through the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the whole counsel of God in general, and they're faithfully and confidently built up in, into Christ. So there's a stability. Okay. Secondly, there, the second mark is that there's a, a growing speaking of the truth. 
Uh, speaking of the truth, he says, rather, speaking the truth in love. And this is actually one word, and it, it's been defined several ways. Uh, holding truth, maintaining truth, living truth, speaking truth, being upright and truthful. The bottom line is that we ought to be, we ought to be people who embody truth. It ought to be what we talk about. It ought to be in what we say. It ought to be in how we live. But the emphasis here is on in love. That's the emphasis and I think it's really important for us because this is something that, that reform folk ought to pay attention to. Because in, in many respects, while our reputation, there are some who have the reputation in reform circles of being cold and judgmental and condescending. And in large part, those come from false and, and horrible caricatures of, from people that don't even know who we are. But in some cases, we have to admit that it comes... It's due in part, if we're honest, to, to a lack of love when it comes to embodying truth. And, and because for some, being possessors of truth, being possessors of truth and being speakers of truth and being livers of truth is somehow interpreted as a badge of honor. But what happens as we live is that it's really nothing more than self-righteous indignation and, and arrogance is exhibited uh, through critique and contempt and, and justifiable disdain for those that they dislike or are frustrated with. Others believe, for some reason, that, that because they, they have the truth, that it gives them a reason in some way or a license to say difficult and hard, and, and hard things in abrasive manners. And in both cases, the reality is that those who speak or live and speak in this way are really more concerned about themselves than they are about other people. They're more concerned about expressing and letting everybody know that they're a possessor of truth than they are to actually communicate out of compassion and, and a heartfelt love for the other person because they need to hear the truth. Because there's a big difference between pr promoting, we'll say, myself as a possessor of truth there's a big difference in that and actually loving someone and gently and compassionately sharing the truth with them. Now, and I learned this several years ago, and some of you have heard me say this, I've shared this before, uh, but I learned this several years ago as while parenting and coaching. I came to an understanding that I could tell whether or not I had me in mind or them in mind by how I reacted to things that they did. The more angry I was, the more boisterous I was, and even uh, the more abrasive I was, in reality, the more concerned I was about me. How I was coming off, uh, how I, um, my, my own reputation or my own self-justification. But if I was thinking about them, I tended to be more gentle and compassionate and patient. And I think that's Paul's point here. Paul's point is that there are times for righteous indignation. Absolutely. There are times to speak the truth. We need to get, sometimes we need to get the attention of other people because of the consequences that are just knocking at their door. I, I get that. But there are times, most of the time, when a gentle and a compassionate response and communication of the truth is what is needed out of love for the other person. 
the time that it takes. We're to live and speak truthfully and lovingly. We're to have biblical conversations with one another, bringing the gospel to bear in the situations and circumstances of life. And, and, and we're... And when we're doing so in love, and the more we grow up into Christ, the more we grow up into Christ, what happens is that we find that we're wanting to bring the gospel to bear on those situations and we're more concerned about them than us. And, and just as a side note, I, I think sometimes, though we may not realize it, how we communicate, how we communicate with other people and how we communicate truth says a lot of but we are about what we ourselves believe about the sufficiency of Christ and His Word. Because if we believe in the sufficiency of Christ and His Word, we tend to be less abrasive, we tend to be less interested in winning arguments, and more compassionate and loving toward other people. And this is true not only among us, where this passage is referring to, but not only inside our walls, but outside our walls as well. So we have a stability... And we have a growing love. Thirdly, he says, the third mark is a growing serving out of the truth. Verses 15 and 16. He says, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the, the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And this shouldn't come as a surprise for us because of the number of times I've said we and because of what we looked at last week. Uh, this is a group effort. We're all in this together. And so uh, we all must, must do our part. We've been called uh, to, to be, we've been called to stability. We've been called to speak. We've been called to serve. And, and here's how Paul describes that. He, he's been talking about as Christ is our head, we are his body. So he is our head. Um, we, we are all in him and, and we're all shoulders and elbows, uh, shoulders and arms and elbows and wrists and hands and fingers or hips and legs and knees and ankles and feet, and toes as a part of that body. And we're all held together by ligaments and tendons. And those bands, that's a word there, those bands are the gifts that God has given to equip us. Those gifts that He's been given. When we're talking about this analogy of the body, these ligaments and these tendons bring us all together. So going back to last week, the body as a part of Christ who is our head, He is our source, He is our life, and He passes that life to us by the Spirit, through the gift of the teaching and preaching ministry of the church. It's where it begins. So He communicates that life to us through word and sacrament. Then we, as the body, exercise our gifts and, and pass that on, that life on by the Spirit to each other. And so there's, there's just this cycle going on. So you, you remember those pictures back to junior high and the, the picture of the body and the blood flow and, and all that's going on. The, the life coming from the head to us, we exercise our gifts and it goes to other parts of the body. Serving one another, growing one another up in love. Now, three things here because we, we see that word working properly. But three, three things here as we... As we conclude, if you're a hand or an arm 
or a foot or a toe or a finger. And if, and if you're a part of a body of Christ only sporadically or every once in a while or, or maybe just few and far between, times that are few and far between, you have in a sense dislocated yourself or removed yourself from the body. And having dislocated yourself from the body and having, having set yourself apart or removed yourself from the body, you're cutting yourself off from the source of life. You're cutting yourself off from the head. In other words, for a Christian to say, I don't need church, or I don't like the church, or I don't like worship, or I don't think it's all that important, or I go twice a month, or all I need, and I've heard this a couple times this last couple months, all I need is me and my Bible. They're fooling themselves. And someone needs to speak the truth in love to them. Because a foot cannot grow apart from the body. A finger that's been severed or dislocated, if it's not fixed, it's not going to grow. It's not going to grow apart from the body. And that's Paul's point. Secondly, if, if you as a member aren't exercising your gifts... Those around you are suffering, right? Because it's the tendons and the ligaments that are, is the conduit through which as, as life comes from our head through the teaching ministry and we are encouraged and edified and then we serve our gifts, we're passing that on and we're serving one another and loving one another and we're growing up with one another. And if anybody understands and has ever had shoulder problems, you know that not, your shoulder not only hurts, your arm begins to hurt. And unless you do something with the ligaments and tendons that are bothered, eventually the arm is, is going to lose strength. And so when we don't exercise our gifts, you know, we've all been given gifts through which Christ supplies and equips and encourages and gives life to others within the body. And when we don't exercise those gifts... Uh, you know, we ourselves are encouraged and equipped through the teaching ministry. Then we exercise those gifts. And if we're not doing that, then there's, there's a breakdown. And the body does not grow as a whole. But this is where the spoiler alert comes in. Okay? Remember, I, I, I paraphrase this. Charles Hodge says, Our growing and maturing is ultimately due to the Spirit who is at work within us, not to how efficient we are in our striving and working. So, so we've, we've, got this, we've got this tension here we need to hold. Right? We are to work properly. That means we're to be involved. We're to be doing our part. We're to be serving one another. But remember, it is the Spirit who is primary and ultimately the, the number one source through which we are built up. It is the Spirit of God who is at work within us, who is bringing about our maturity and our growth. And we've got to keep those things in tension. It's the Spirit who is ultimately responsible, but we are to work properly. And, and what happens is, I know that sometimes that we can, be, uh, we can be afraid of doing something wrong when it comes to exercising our gifts. Sometimes we're afraid uh, that we might fail 
And so we don't try. Uh, Sometimes we're worried that we're not exercising our gifts well enough. Sometimes uh, we're worried that and we might even second guess when our gift is needed. And some of us even begin to second guess what our gift is. And we get, we get tied into knots. But what happens is in that we, we begin to we shrink back. And, and we're afraid. And that fear leads to paralysis. And we don't do anything. And I don't think I need to tell you what paralysis does to a body. So, so be encouraged. Okay? Be encouraged. It's the Spirit who is at work within us. It is Christ who is our head, who provides everything that we need. He provides it all. It is in Christ, by His Spirit, where we grow. He causes the growth. Don't overthink it. Don't overanalyze it. Don't overthink or overanalyze your goal or your gift or your role. He is at work in you as much as He is at work in me and as much as He is at work at the person down the row from you or sitting next to you. Rest in the fact that He is at work in all of us. It is His will for us to be sanctified. We should, we, our hope should be that. And yes, your role is important just as my role is important. And we're all to work properly. But listen, your efficiency does not thwart God's effectiveness. I'm going to say that again. Your efficiency does not thwart His effectiveness. Don't exercise your gift out of guilt. Exercise your, and don't let fear paralyze you. Exercise your giftedness, serving one another, encouraging one another, building one another up, bearing one another's burdens, praying for one another. And as you do, rest in Christ. Rest in Christ. Grow in your knowledge and faith in Christ and His Word. Speak the truth in love. Serve one another. And let's see what God will do in you and for you, and with you, and with our church. May it be so. Let's pray together.